Welcome to the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast, where we highlight nonprofit innovators, leaders, and influencers every week that are changing the sector for the better. I'm your host, Delaney Mullinex, Executive Director of Nonprofit Hub. If you're not for profit and all for purpose, you're in the right place. You see, we know you're already doing good, but we've designed this podcast to help nonprofit professionals find growth, joy, and connection. So tune in weekly for new episodes to elevate your cause, spread the news, and share the resources we share with you. Build momentum and be unstoppable at the 2023 CauseCamp Nonprofit Conference. CauseCamp is named one of the top nonprofit conferences of the year. Everyone who attends the conference is there to work with you to solve real issues facing your organization from trivial to complex. Level up your professional knowledge and the strategies of your organization with insights from the top minds in the sector. Get to know nonprofit peers nationwide at pre and post show events and visit over 35 resource and solution providers in Camper Village. Join us on September 14th and 15th on America's Rock and Roller Coast in Huron, Ohio. For more than 150 years, people have chosen the Lake Erie region as their destination to connect with each other and create new memories. Grab your ticket at www.cause.camp and reignite your purpose at Cause Camp 2023. Hello everyone, Delaney here, the Executive Director of Nonprofit Hub. In this episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast, I get to speak with Beth Gokenberger. She is the Co-Executive Director of Back-to-Back Ministries and also one of the keynote presenters at Cause Camp 2023. And she has an incredible story of how she started a nonprofit and grew it to an organization that now employs over 400 people in several different countries. I know you guys are going to love Beth and her story. Stay tuned. Beth, please tell us more about yourself and your nonprofit. Oh, thanks. Thanks for asking. Um, 26 years ago, my husband and I began an organization that serves orphans and vulnerable children. And through that lens, you know, 26 years ago, all I really knew was that there were kids out there in the world that were vulnerable and didn't have their basic needs met. And I knew that I wanted to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, all I could see were physical needs, but over time, I've learned to understand educational needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, social needs. And uh, so we've we've evolved quite a bit in the last 26 years, but um, today we have about 400 staff in 11 sites around the world. It's incredible. Thanks. It's a, it's, it's a journey. And I think for any nonprofit leader, if you decide to stay in the field, you know, and you decide that you're going to keep adding to your institutional knowledge and sharing with the next generation what you've learned, you have to be open to, to learning and course correcting. So the way that we did our work, you know, even 15 years ago, I think, oh, I'm so glad we don't do it that way anymore. And, those course corrections mean I'm not exactly sure what it'll look like 26 years from now, but it probably doesn't, uh, hopefully it won't look like it does today because mm-hmm. we've had more understanding. Yeah. Um, this is super random, but it reminded me of it. Have you seen the show Yellowstone? Yes. <laughs> um, there's a quote in that line from Rip and he told the son at this point in the show that I've seen so far, they haven't adopted him, but um, he tells the son that success doesn't come through winning. It comes from failing and learning. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that like every nonprofit leader probably 
learns the hard way, right? Like you might not ever feel like you're winning, but if you, if you're failing, you're learning um, with that, like it's hand in hand. Yeah. I was just in a uh, boardroom conversation around dashboards and I was saying, let's not fall into the trap of only wanting dashboards that Mm. give us answers. I want dashboards that help us ask the right questions because the decision to be a learner, it ends up impacting or coloring everything down to how you report and down to how you create strategic plans down to every aspect of the organization. So yeah, Yeah. learning is a really important, failing and learning is a really important part. Yeah. Is the dashboard that you're talking about something that you use as a reporting mechanism in board meetings? It is. But again, I was saying to them, this is art, not science. Yeah. So this represents kind of a snapshot, maybe even an aggregate of what's happening. This is not, this is not a fuel tank or a speedometer. Don't think dashboard in that way. This is like a picture of the trend. This is a picture of the direction. This is so yes. Yeah. We do every number, every number has a narrative. Mm-hmm, you absolutely. Have, you have to like provide that. Yeah. We actually just had Darian Rodriguez on a nonprofit hub webinar and he was talking about implementing scorecards and dashboards in nonprofit board meetings. Um, and I think having having that perspective, like knowing that you need to provide that narrative on top of it is important. But I do think that it's beneficial. And I'm sure um, I mean, you can answer this, but were you always using that tool in your board no. meetings or was it something no. that you had to learn? Like yes. to use? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, I didn't, we didn't know anything in the beginning. I mean, that, that I didn't, we didn't know board governance or, or, you know, international finance practices or HR policies like that. Everything we kind of learned in real time. And I think cultivate us early in the appetite that there were other people that were a click ahead of us in any given area. And mm-hmm. how could we, you know, saddle up next to them, learn their cautionary tales and, and then pass it on as much as we could. Yeah. And I mean, that is essentially the whole topic of, of hopefully the content that we can cover today in our interview. And I don't just want to ask you, you know, how did you go from a grassroots org to a mid-size, but let's just piggyback off of what you just said. I mean, how did you learn from people that were doing things in, in your eyes as well? Um, I paid attention quite a bit to all kinds of things. I paid attention to you know, people who'd been around for a long time. Of course, in nonprofit world, you have a lot of turnover, you have a lot of transition, burnout. So people that have been doing it for a long time, um, they have a louder voice in my head and I'm more attracted to, I'm less attracted to shiny and style and I'm more attracted to substance. I remember I had this experience, uh, this would be 2011, uh, the year after the Haiti earthquake that was so devastating. Okay. I was at a conference with other executive directors and this man got up and he started his message by saying for a little over two decades, he'd been an agricultural missionary in Haiti and he was teaching Haitians how to use natural resources and their current environment to grow the kind of food. He talked about the subsidies the U.S. had done since the 80s and the way that that impacted their ability to grow food for themselves. And then he got emotional. But first of all, I would say just when they did his bio and they said he'd been there so long, the average length of a nonprofit worker in Haiti, their stay is eight months because it's really hard to work wow. there. So anybody who's been there like 20 years, I'm like, just just be quiet and listen to him because he has accrued some knowledge. And he talked about a nonprofit um, 
who had in the aftermath of the earthquake invited children to buy peanut butter um, jars and tape 50 cents to the lid because that was the cost of the freight that would take it from Miami, Florida, where you were to send it over to Haiti. And, and I understand why that nonprofit was doing that. That was, you know, peanut butter is the source of protein and it was cheap and you'd have to refrigerate it. And it seems like it makes sense, but this guy started crying and he said, our chief crop was the peanut crop and no, we're all out of business because nobody will come buy our peanuts when you can just go down to Port-au-Prince and get some free peanut butter. And he said, mm. if somebody would have called me, I would have told them, save your $4 on your, on your jar and the 50 cents you taped and the five bucks it cost you to ship it. Send me $10. I'll pay better wages, buy better tools, get more land. And the result, while slower, would have been better. And mm-hmm. so I think there's enough stories like that in my experience that I think I want to make sure I'm asking the right people the right questions um, so that I don't do something that kind of seems right to me, but I don't really have the perspective to know if it is right. Yeah. Maybe let's go backwards a little bit and talk a little bit more about your mission at Back to Back. Um, what countries are you primarily serving? Sure. We're in Nigeria, India, Haiti, the Dominican Republic, <coughs> Mexico, and the U.S. Those sites have full-time staff. And then we have affiliate staff in lots of other countries around the world, but working to um, serve. Again, in the beginning, I just liked, wanted to help orphans. But then over time, I realized they're in a whole ecosystem with at-risk moms and marginalized mm-hmm. communities and under-resourced schools and so now it has a more holistic approach to serving children. And then about 15 years ago, we got very involved in the area of trauma and having trauma-informed mm-hmm. leadership and trauma-informed care. And so today- Very important, yeah. Yeah, we work in those areas as well. Yeah. So I, I assume that your programming and, and how you deliver that programming is different in every single country. Um, Absolutely. How did you, to the story about Haiti, like how did you learn about- right? Like the context of what was happening in that country in order to kind of like insert yourself in that country and and start trying to help. Yeah. There's one way to inoculate yourself for making mistakes like that. And that's to put nationals in the highest positions of leadership in your organization. Mm -hmm. So today, if you come on staff with our organization and you want to go serve in any of those countries, you'll report to a Nigerian, you'll report to a Mexican, you'll report to a Haitian. Even if you're an American and you have fancy degrees and, you know, whatever, um, the, the highest boxes on the org charts in country are held by nationals. And so we really rely on them to help us contextualize, culturalize, and avoid making mistakes that, you know, se- seemed like a good idea, but don't, don't work in that context. Yeah. But at the same time, we, we were working to develop those leaders to be good students themselves mm-hmm. so that if a new idea comes from one of the other countries, they can benefit from that good idea, you know, as they put it into their own context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Well, what are some other things? I mean, how long did it take you? How long did it go from startup to what you would consider a mid-sized nonprofit organization? I know that there are a lot of um, different articles and different, you know, data that you can look at. Um, I think there's a lot of debate on what is considered a smaller or mid-sized nonprofit organization. So maybe let's talk about that definition first. Um, I guess like in my mind and like the the data that I like to look at is a grassroots organization is making in a million or less in fundraising mm-hmm. revenue. And then 
a midsize, would you agree, is about five to 10 million? Yes, exactly. Okay. So um, in 97, we started with our savings account, which was, you know, essentially $25,000 and two people. And then in 2012, it was a big turning point for our organization. So that's 15 years later. We were about 100 employees, about $5 million. Um, and uh, we were, you know, growing incrementally as best as we knew how. And we went to a, a conference, uh, much like Cause Camp, but it's specific for our field, which is um, vulnerable mm-hmm. children. And we were presenting this little workshop and we decided in that workshop that we were going to give away any tool that we'd created, yeah. policy manuals or whatever, you know, different finance tools. And we thought maybe, maybe 10 different organizations would come to that. That'd be amazing if we could collaborate and come alongside 10 startups that nobody, you know, nobody was looking for ways to do that for us. We had to go looking for it when we were right. that size. So anyway, we opened the door to the workshop. You like signed, seal, delivered it. Like here you yeah. go. Yeah. We, uh, we opened up the door to that workshop. 400 people came in and we were totally overwhelmed and said, okay, well, well, there's a lot more of you than we have of handouts. So we'll, we'll create what essentially in 2012 was the Google Drive. And anybody who wants to access anything we have, it's probably not exactly what you want, but it'll, it'll get you farther down the road. Yeah. And take our logo off it. And- Cause getting started is sometimes the hardest part, but if you can even have like a bones, like a bone to something that you're like looking at, it just eliminates so much, I think, stress and anxiety. Within 18 months, we doubled in size. And I think, um, part of that kind of math <laughs> comes from the exchange that happened. You know, as mm-hmm. you give things away, you get more to steward. And as you, Sure, we gave lots of things away, but it wasn't a one-way street. As we were interacting with people, we were learning what they were doing. They were encouraging, stimulating, and challenging us at the same time. And I think, you know, if I was telling a startup, you know, I think they're calling them social entrepreneurs these days, but any kind of nonprofit startup leader or founder, I would say, get inside of a network where there's really healthy exchange happening, Mm -hmm. where you're getting a chance to give away what, what you're learning and glean from other people's experiences that just naturally gives you a growth mindset. Yeah, of course. I always really loved um, being involved in uh, the nonprofit AF group on Facebook because everyone is so generous with their feedback. I mean, these people, you could ask a simple question in that Facebook group and you would get at least 25 to 30 like novel length responses which like takes people time like they're literally taking time out of their day to help a complete stranger in this facebook group um because it's it's what we love like we love you know what we're doing and they want to help the profile of a nonprofit leader is already generous yeah that's why they're doing it yeah yeah very good there's a lot of conversation in the sector about partnerships and finding organizations that may be doing similar work or something that you thought about maybe starting as a program, but you might not be the best to offer that program. Are there any like strategic partnerships that you can look back and think of that may have really helped you to make like these jumps into larger or larger size nonprofit org? Yeah, this will sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because of what I just said about LinkedIn to networks of people who are yeah. doing the same kinds of things you're doing. But I think some of our biggest leaps came when we were talking to people in adjacent fields, but not exactly the exact same field. Okay. Even even secular or for-profit, we, you would have to take that thinking or strategy or, or process and then 
you know, put it inside of you, the lens of your own organization. Yeah. But there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good learning out there that's happening in sectors and in fields that have nothing to do with our particular area of child welfare. Um, and, and I think some of our, some of the things that propel us forward were maybe things we learned from media and communications folks or things that we learned, um, you know, from people who are even doing, you know, marketing or, um, things that I'm like, gosh, I didn't get into this to learn mm-hmm. about social media. I got into this to help mm-hmm. orphans. However, in order to help orphans, I got to understand more about how to do marketing and mm-hmm. that, that partnership or that coaching mentorship has helped me do what my core business is, my core interest is in ways that I wouldn't have otherwise understood. So, yeah, there's that yeah, it's kind of, it reminds me of the story of like mother Teresa and how she absolutely hated like having to make public appearances and like go and like talk on behalf of, you know, the money that she was raising. But she always said to like her, her closest assistant, she'd be like, I absolutely hate this, but I know if we have no margin, we have no mission. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, marketing is super important. What's one thing that you wish you knew before you decided to start a nonprofit? There's one thing I wish I would have known. Um, it was going to take, well, two things. I, I don't think falling in love with a cause would have sustained me for 26 years. I think I had to fall in love with people. Mm. And relationships are what keep me in this story, not a cause. If it was just a cause, I might look at all the numbers and realize actually things are worse than they were 26 years ago. Yeah. And we have more vulnerable children than we've ever had. So therefore, I'm not making a difference. Why bother? But if I think about people, particular cases and stories and yeah. individuals with whom I believe have had a different trajectory as a result of our work, then I have gas in the tank to go farther. So I think spending more time cultivating relationships is uh, would be something I would tell my younger self. Mm, that's really well said. Yeah. And I, I think also um, sometimes, in, especially in the earliest days of a nonprofit, you can get so mm, radical about your cause that you forget how important it is to care for the team around you. Mm. And mm, my husband was a, before we did this, he was a teacher, a history teacher. And he used to tell, talk to his students about the Pony Express, the way the United States used to receive their mail. And at the, in the Pony Express, they would take ponies and run them as fast as they could from one post to another, so fast that by the time the pony got to where it was um, headed, they would retire. Like no pony ever rode the Pony Express more than one leg oh because they ran them so hard. And I think in nonprofit work, we can sometimes treat people like they're in the Pony Express. Like, I'm going to yeah. get as much as I can out of you. But then when people finish what they started, they're like, I'm out. Like, I can't, I could never do that again. Yeah. I think how it's just really, really important to make sure that you have good culture, good staff development, good staff care, um, you know, felt safety, all, all the things so that people stay in the story as long as possible. That, that makes your, your nonprofit richer, really. Yeah. That is super well said too. And I mean, I felt that for every nonprofit I've worked with, you know? Yes. Um, And yeah, I mean, turnover is such a huge problem in a sector. Um, We just, you know, keep kind of like killing good talent and like sending it back out, you know, into other sectors to, to work and like recover almost, you know, like you keep hearing words like, um, I always hear people say like a recovering fundraiser or, um, and all these things that are just so common. And it's like, why do we keep why do I keep hearing this? Like, why does it 
like it does, doesn't seem like anything's improving and people keep, you know, leaving the field or um, the industry because of that reason. And um, there is for those of, for those of you that are listening and um, Beth, I'm sure like you've also struggled with burnout on your own. Like you didn't need to be under the direction of someone else to probably experience it as well. Yeah. And I think, I mean, relationships are a big tool that we have to help because the more self-aware we are, the closer to the cliff we realize we're getting and the more we need help before we get to the place where we're, we're, we're falling off of it. Mm-hmm. And part of what helps us grow self-awareness is healthy community. So I think, I think my coworkers play a really big role in that. And ownership of the problem you're trying to solve, like I can't, I actually can't. There's a billion children in the world that have experienced trauma and I'm utterly incapable of scaling an organization big enough to help a billion children. Mm-hmm. So realizing I'm actually just supposed to do my thing and I'm going to trust other people are doing their thing and it's going to all add up and make an impact or a difference in this world. But I can't own this problem. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't, I certainly can't fix it. Most things don't need fixed. They need heals. So how do you create environments of, of healing and, yeah. and not take so much on myself? That, yeah. That's a fast track towards burnout. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this world uh, is overwhelming um, for sure. I, um, I learned of a really awesome organization out of Colorado, but it's, it's available to anyone, you know, across the U S it's called thrive impact. Um, and the founder, his name is Tucker Wanamaker and Mm -hmm. all their mission is, is to, um, prevent nonprofit leader burnout. Um, Mm -hmm. absolutely incredible. If anyone is interested in checking that out, I highly recommend, um, hopefully my plan is to invite Tucker to speak in 2024, but, um, I've had the pleasure of meeting him recently and I definitely would, um, would advocate and, and provide testimony to what he's doing. Um, while we're, you know, talking a little bit about cause camp where you, you'll be on the main stage. Can you give mm-hmm. us maybe a little bit of like a teaser, a rundown of what your session will be about? Absolutely. Um, I'll be t- sharing very specifically five kind of cautionary tales or lessons I learned, but one of my favorite lessons to talk about is how important it is to accept assignments that outsize us. Uh, sometimes when we feel accountable to donors or we feel accountable to anybody publicly or forward facing, we make bite-sized goals so that we can say we accomplish them. And I think it's a really important to not be afraid to fail. You know, we think in the nonprofit world, if we fail, like people are at stake, or if we fail, maybe, maybe that'll get out and no one will ever donate money again. Or if we fail, maybe I'm not the right person for this job or whatever. There's a lot of, the stakes are high. And so because the stakes are so high, lots of times we aren't willing to try things that might be considered as risk. And so I'll talk a little bit about some of the decisions and the assignments that I have accepted that way outsized me and how to keep exercising the muscle of what we call vision-driven decisions, making mm-hmm. decisions based on where you're heading instead of where you are. Nice. And how that, that helps grow. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to the most at cause camp? I think there's some rooms I walk into and I can be surrounded by people and feel like no one here really understands me. They don't understand mm-hmm. why I would do this. They don't understand some of the things I've seen. They don't understand what means to feel deeply for someone that you shouldn't even know, let alone feel deeply for. And I have a feeling at cause camp, 
we'll recognize each other. Yes. Even if we don't know each other, we recognize each other. And just yeah. being in company like that will feel really good. Yeah. I'll have to introduce you to Genevieve Paturo. Have you gotten a second to check out her profile at all? She wow. is the founder of the Pajama Project. Okay. Um, and I mean, your stories are definitely different, but also very similar in, in the fact that you guys will definitely recognize each other. <laughs> um, she started just like, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to like ruin her story. It's so, okay. yeah. I'll I feel like she, that. she still cries like to this day telling her story and I just absolutely <laughs> adore it. Um, but you'll hear that. You'll hear that at cause camp too. Um, well, how can people stay connected with your good work? Thanks. Thanks for asking. So there, there's two different places that they can find out about the work we're doing. One of them is just our website, back the number two back.org, back to back.org. What is, also, how did you come up with that name, by the way? Yeah, we stand alongside or back to back with nationals. So okay. some of those early principles, uh, we didn't want to go in thinking we who are not from here have all the answers and solutions for here, but we want to come alongside of people and, and just support them as they problem solve in their communities. Oh. Um, and then um, we spun off an organization a couple of years ago that sits underneath the back-to-back umbrella, but it's called Trauma-Free World, and that's where all of our trauma training is housed. So if that's something that's interesting to you, we have micro-learning on there all the way to all kinds of certifications. You can find out how trauma training might help you and your organization um, and lift the work that you're already up to. Great. So I, I definitely interrupted you. I apologize about that. We have back the number 2 backorg yeah, back to or traumafreeworld.org yeah. or .com? Dot .org. Yep. Okay, great. Um, we always try to include a segment at the end of our episodes called Good News for Nonprofits. Is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Hmm, that's a great, yeah, two things that come to my brain. One of them is the big, big good news is that everyone has a part to play. And uh, it doesn't matter what your gifting is, what your experience is. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. There's, there's a place in the nonprofit world for literally everyone from children who do lemonade stands to senior citizens who write sponsor letters to kids. Everyone yeah. has a part to play. But in terms of our organization, um, I think some of the good news that we're experiencing is we're partnering with some local governments in countries that are allowing us to scale in ways we wouldn't have scaled otherwise. And I think sometimes nonprofits shy away from government partnerships because they don't want controlled in those ways, but we have found it as a really powerful way to reach places we wouldn't be able to reach without um, that government reach. So anyway, that's some good news we're experiencing today. That's great. And I think nonprofits should know that they're needed by the government. And I think the government sees the sector in that way as well. Yes. Um, well, it's been a pleasure having you on, Beth. I look forward to seeing um, or hearing and learning more about your story this September at Cause Camp. Um, but thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for this Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast episode. For more resources on fundraising, marketing, and all things nonprofit, be sure to check out the number one nonprofit toolbox at nonprofithub.org. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast.